Well, good morning to you. Good to see you today. Glad you're here. Uh, If you do have a Bible, please turn to the book of Nehemiah. I started a series uh, through the book of Nehemiah a few weeks ago. And uh, we are now in Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Nehemiah 4, verse 1, Uh, we will read all the way through verse 14 today. Let's pray first. Well, Father, we do thank you. Uh, We believe, Jesus, Um, we do believe that you are better than all things, and yet we would say help our unbelief. Our hearts are still drawn to so many things in this earth, and uh, so we would just ask you again here this morning, Father, that you'd open our eyes and you'd show us Jesus. That's what we need to see. We need to behold our God, and our God is the Lord Jesus Christ. So open our eyes that we might see Jesus. Father, we know the man who finds a treasure hidden in the field will uh, joyfully go and sell all he has to have the treasure. And that's what it is. It's just finding the treasure, Father. So we would ask that you'd help us to see our treasure, to see Jesus again this morning. And that in seeing Jesus, we would be empowered to follow, to run after Jesus, and, and, and to run our races well. Laying aside weights, laying aside the sin that so easily entangles, and running our races, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So Lord, help us, we pray this morning. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we read, let me just catch us up to speed here. Before Nehemiah, uh, this man Nehemiah was born, long before he was born, the Jewish people were taken into exile in Babylon. Uh, But 70 years later, the king of Persia wrote a decree that the people of Israel could return to their land. And Nehemiah, at this point in this book, uh, he has just arrived in Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls, which the Babylonians had decimated some 150 years earlier. Uh, Nehemiah just recently rallied the people in Jerusalem to rise and build the walls, and they did. In chapter 3, Nehemiah listed 41 groups of people that, that rose up, linking arms, working side by side, and began to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And what do we see now in chapter 4 as they begin to build? Well, we see massive opposition. We've already seen opposition in this book in chapter 2, the second Nehemiah arrived there in Jerusalem. Some enemies of the Jews rose up and resisted him. And now as this construction has commenced, the opposition intensifies. Let's go ahead and read it, Nehemiah 4.1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? 
Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Amen. So as the Jews here begin to build this wall around Jerusalem, the opposition instantly intensifies, escalates here. I think we can see here three different forms or types of opposition. We'll just run through the passage here. We'll look at the different forms of opposition. And we'll then think at the end today about some things we might learn from this. The first form of opposition the builders faced here, taunts, just ridicule. Nehemiah mentions two men here, Sanballat and Tobias, not the first time we've heard of these men. They opposed Nehemiah back in chapter 2, the second he arrived there in Jerusalem. Sanballat was governor of Samaria at this time, the province just to the north of Jerusalem. Tobiah was probably one of Sanballat's servants, also maybe an official there in Samaria. And man, these guys did not want this wall built. We don't know why exactly. They may have had some power over Jerusalem at this time, or were maybe profiting off of Jerusalem. And they think if this wall gets built here, well, they will lose their power and their profit. So they now oppose vigorously The evil twins in this book, Dr. Evil and Mini-Me, show up repeatedly throughout this book. Nehemiah says in verse 1 that Sanballat now heard that the Jews were building. And he was angry, greatly enraged, and he immediately then jeered at the Jews, mocked them, taunted them, ridiculed them, made fun of them, apparently in front of lots of people. 
Verse 2 says he did it in the presence of his brothers or presence of his allies and the presence of the army of Samaria. And verse 5 indicates that he also did it in the presence of the Jewish builders. He may have taken some of the army of Samaria with him, toured around the city there, mocking as he went so the soldiers and the builders on the wall could hear him or maybe just mocked to his soldiers back in Samaria and then sent messengers to tell the builders what he had said. Who knows, somehow this ridicule was heard by lots of people. Five very taunting questions from Sanballat here in verse Two, one right after the other. Question one, what are these feeble Jews doing? Weak. Small. Incompetent. Trying to build a wall. Two, will they restore this wall for themselves? These feeble people build a massive, over 20 foot high, over 10 foot wide, one to two mile wall around Jerusalem. No way. Number three, will they sacrifice? Probably meaning, will they do some sort of magic to cause the walls to rise? Because these few people are not going to do it. Number four, will they finish in a day? Because they sure act like they will. They have no idea how long this will take, how difficult it will be. They will never finish. And number five, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Look at those charred stones. Don't they know that burned limestone will crumble when you touch it? I have to build all new massive stones. (laughs) What a joke. And Tobiah then, many me, now jumps into the fray and adds his two cents in verse 3. Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down. And that might have hit home a little bit because the wall at this point was probably pretty small. A fox will break it if it gets on it. All these verbal jabs from Sanballat and Tobiah just taunting, mocking, ridiculing the Jews and their wall. And man, the goal of this taunting here was to kill morale. Get these Jews to give up. We probably can't build this wall. It is a terrible wall. Cause these Jews to quit. Nehemiah, under God, man, he had stirred these people to believe. Given them hope that they could build these walls after 150 years. And these taunts were designed to kill that hope. You cannot do it. J.I. Packer calls this a psychological warfare. It's a cold war of sorts. It's not bombs. It's just words. And listen, words do damage at times. (laughs) Little kids, we grow up saying sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. And it's just not true. Words do hurt at times. They sting very, very deeply. And those verbal missiles there, this taunting, was designed to kill 
morale. Cause the people to drop their tools and quit. We can't do it. We're too small. Too weak. And man, when you see that opposition there, really when you see the opposition all over this book here, you have to be very careful that you don't miss the real enemy. Because the real enemy here is not Sanballat and Tobiah, it's the powers of darkness behind them. Ephesians 6 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood ultimately, but we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The real enemy right here is Satan. The devil and his demons hate God. The powers of darkness hate every single genuine work of God. And the devil and his demons, the powers of darkness, will oppose Every single time, God's people begin to rise and build for God in any way. Derek Thomas says, Satan hates a good thing. He just does. Satan did not want these people to build these walls in the name of God. So he stirred up flesh and blood here, Samballad and Tobiah, these two men, stirred them up to oppose the building here, a psychological warfare, taunting, mocking, ridiculing the Jews and their wall in an effort to get them to stop. Stop building your wall. And the taunts here, man, they probably did wound to some degree, I would imagine. These few people building these weak little walls at this point, the morale of the people probably wavering after this onslaught from Sanballat. And how does Nehemiah respond? Well, Nehemiah, when he's hit with all three of these forms of opposition here, he responds in a similar manner. Two L words. He looks and he labors. He looks to God somehow all three times. And then he just continues to labor. The first thing he does right here is he looks to God in prayer. Man, something he's done this entire book. He doesn't retaliate here to these taunts from Sanballat. I probably would have. Oh my word, you think we're feeble? Well, you're feeble. (laughs) Whatever you say bounces off me and it sticks to you. (laughs) So there, Sanballat, take that. But Nehemiah, man, he prays. He just takes that and turns it to God and he prays. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Don't cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the sight of these builders. He prays. He prays for God's support. Help us, God, for we are despised right now. Help us, O God, defend us. And he also prays for God's judgment here. Turn their taunts back on them. Let that which happened to us, the the exile, let it happen to them. Captives and plundered in, in another land don't overlook their guilt or blot out their sin. 
And man, you know, prayers like that, that you run into in the Bible where people are praying for judgment, they do sound a little strange to our ears, but you do find them in the Bible. And, and when you look at this prayer here, though, you realize that what Nehemiah has prayed there, this was not a personal vengeance. It's not what this was. They just took a shot at us, God, so take a shot at them. They wounded me. Wound them. That's not what this is from Nehemiah. No, Nehemiah was simply praying there for God to vindicate himself. Nehemiah knows that the thing that's ultimately at stake here is God's honor. Sanballat and Tobiah in opposing this work, they're opposing God. They're opposing a genuine work of God. Nehemiah says there in verse 5, they provoked you to anger, oh God. Provoked you. Nehemiah is simply praying here that God would protect his honor, his name, his work. These men have risen against you, God. Protect your work now by defending us against your enemies. So man, Nehemiah is hit with this opposition here, this taunting, and the first thing he does is he looks. He looks to God in prayer, and man, (laughs) Nehemiah then labors. He prays, and he perseveres. And you can see it there in verse 6. He just prayed, and now, so we built the wall. And the wall was built, was joined together to half its height for God, probably through his prayers, had given the people a mind to labor. Nehemiah prayed, persevered, he looked, he, he labored. And you know, every, every genuine work of God takes labor. Roll up your sleeves and work. It, it just does John White says of this passage here, Nehemiah is not the type of leader who avoids sweating. Nehemiah refused to spare himself. He slaved with abandon. Nothing has ever been done for God without work. Paul said he worked harder than all. John Wesley preached several times a day. Jesus once sank into such exhausted slumber on a boat that even a Galilean storm failed to rouse him. One thing, White says, one thing that all great men and women of God have in common is that they work. They labor. Works of God don't happen from just sitting in chairs. They work from getting up. They they happen from getting up and moving. And working, laboring. Nehemiah prayed. He worked. And you know, those two things do go together. A lot of Christians just pray to get things done. Just pray for the wall to be built. Please, please build the wall, God. Please save my kids, God. Please save my neighbors, God. But they won't get up and work for it. Lots of talk, maybe, but no real work. But other Christians, then just work. There's no prayer for the wall, no prayer for the neighbors or, or, or for the kids. It's just get up and do something. It's just get up and work. But we need both prayer and work. That's God's design. I mentioned a couple weeks ago the soldiers of the Revolutionary War, their famous saying, trust in God and keep your gunpowder dry. 
And trust in God to win the war. Pray that God would win the war. And man, then do all that you can to win the war. So Nehemiah looks and he labors here. And the wall, he says, was now built to half its height. The breach is now closing. And that's the first form of opposition here. These taunts. And the second form here, threats. You look at verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, in spite of the taunts and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And you can just see the opposition intensifying now, not just verbal taunts, but physical threats. And it was just Sanballat and Tobiah earlier, but now you have several groups of people opposing. And you can't tell at a first reading there, but but the Jews in Jerusalem are now surrounded by opposition on every side. Samaritans in the north, Arabs in the south, Ammonites in the east, Ashdodites in the west. Opposition on all sides. And Nehemiah says they were very angry. And began to plot together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And Nehemiah and the people knew about their threats. You Jews there. It's not just that you're too feeble to build. No, we are going to come in and physically stop you. Crush you and your measly little walls. Now, whether or not they were really intending to do that, we don't know. You know, this, this from these guys, it could have just been some old-fashioned saber-rattling there. They're just a show of force to, to, to spark fear and intimidate the Jews. Iran or North Korea firing missiles into the ocean, a little saber-rattling, trying to spark fear and intimidate. But man, these threats here, they were serious threats. And all of these threats most likely coming once again ultimately from the powers of darkness. Satan hates a good thing. Hates it. He will oppose every genuine work of God, oppose every time God's people rise in any way to build with God. And Satan now stirs up flesh and blood to lob physical threats. At the builders. The taunts didn't stop you. Well we'll kill you then. Stop your building. And that was Satan's primary objective here. With with these threats. Very simple. He was attempting to get the builders to quit. Stop your building. And how does Nehemiah respond the same way he did earlier? Look and labor. Prayer and perseverance. He first looks to God in prayer again and then labors again. Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah just puts the two right together here in one verse. And we prayed to our God and 
set a guard as a protection against them day and night. <laughs> Pray first. <laughs> Man, this building project here was just saturated with prayer from start to finish. Looking to God constantly for help. Probably praying here for protection against these threats. But also probably praying here for courage to continue to build. You know, when the earthly apostles were threatened in Acts chapter 4, threatened to stop preaching about Christ, they didn't just pray ultimately for their own protection. No, they prayed for boldness to continue to preach Christ in the face of those threats. And these people here probably prayed for protection, but, but they prayed for courage, I'm sure. Looked to God in prayer, and then they labored. They set a guard now. They stationed people around the city. A day and night protection, Nehemiah says. They're not armed yet. They will be soon, but not yet. But this is a 24-hour watch now, vigilant on guard against the enemy. The combination of prayer and work again. They prayed for protection most likely, but then they set a guard for protection. <laughs> Trust in God. Keep your gunpowder dry. So that's the second form of opposition there. First taunts, then threats. And the final form here is a very f- subtle form of opposition. It's simple talk. Gossip. Rumors. It's a bunch of hearsay. Word on the street. Whispering. These Jewish builders now, they start to hear all kinds of talk around them. Three times now, in quick succession, Nehemiah says that things were said to them. Talk, talk, talk. Most of the talk was coming from their own people, coming from within the camp, so to speak. And every last bit of this talk here had the potential to create massive discouragement among these builders and ultimately cause them to quit. Derek Kidner says that these next verses here, they convey an atmosphere of unnerving rumors within the company which could do as much damage as the enemy outside the company. All this talk now within the camp, gossip, rumors, they're hearing things and I think they're sharing those things then with the people around them and it begins to spread like wildfire. And the first thing Uh, So three things that people were hearing now and saying to one another. The first is in verse 10, if you look at it. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. And I think right there, a rumor had begun to spread around all of Judah this, this whisper campaign of sorts. The Jewish people in Judah, in Jerusalem, and surrounding areas now beginning to say to one another, the builders are wearing out. The builders are wearing out. There's too much rubble. We're, we're not going to make it. We're not going to get it done. 
I think there's probably a little panic setting in here most likely. And you really have to remember here when you read through this, this was before mass media. I mean, the people all over Judah, you know, they couldn't go home at night and just turn on the Jerusalem news channel and find out what was going on. You know, this accurate and up-to-the-minute to news, listen to the anchor on Jerusalem news channel saying, all is well, the people have a heart to build, the walls are going up, take heart, praise God. Ah, shut off the news, we're good to go. No. News traveled by word of mouth back here. (laughs) And many times the people inside the city didn't know what was going outside the city, and the people on one side of the city didn't know what was going on the other side of the city. And rumors could spread very, very, very quickly. And I think a rumor was beginning to spread here. The people are wearing out. There's too much rubble. Not going to make it. They're, 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 They're falling apart. And another thing the builders heard at this time, and I think we're repeating to each other, is there in verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And I think that's also probably a bit of gossip that's going on here, being whispered around the city at this time. Did did you hear what, what Sambalat said? Did you hear what he said? Uh, attack at night. Won't, won't, won't know about it, won't see it coming until we're all dead. Did, did you hear it? And you know how it works. <laughs> you get a rumor going, man. Oh, it's like the game of telephone around the room. And you're like, ooh, and people freaking out. And I think that was probably going on here. And one more thing the builders heard at this time. We're probably repeating to each other in some ways in verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them, the Jews who lived around Jerusalem, came from all directions and said to us, Ten times, you must return to us. Again, I think it's this talk. I think right here it's friends and family most likely coming from all directions, looking at their loved ones on the walls, building, and then saying to them, Get out of the city! You're failing. The walls are not going to be built. Sanballat's coming. Return to us. Return to us now. You're going to (laughs) die. I do. I think you can probably see a little of of Nehemiah's irritation uh, there when he says, Ten times they said, <laughs> you must return to us. Uh, man, you picture Nehemiah. If they said it once, they said it a billion times. A broken record. Get out of the city. 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 Stop building. So I think it's just a picture of just all this gossip, this talk among the people. Among the people of God. Rumor, gossip, speculation, fear, doubt, unbelief. Beginning to run crazy among the believers. Passed on, word of mouth from from one to to the next. Even pressure from friends and and family. This this wildfire starting to spread here in Jerusalem. Talk, 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 talk. And the vast majority of it, I'm sure was once again ultimately coming from the powers of darkness, stirring up flesh and blood. Satan hates a good thing. 
Satan hates it. And every single time God's people rise together and begin to build with God in any way. Well, listen, Satan just loves to get the people of God talking. He loves it. He loves it. He loves it. You're not just fighting an enemy on the outside, now you're fighting an enemy on the inside. Talk. Listen. The book of James says the tongue is set on fire by hell. And that is not just the tongue of unbelievers. That is the tongue of believers too. Powers of darkness can place thoughts and suggestions in the minds of believers. It's one of the reasons we're told to take thoughts captive. The powers of darkness can stir up sinful flesh that still lives within every single believer. Get you really irritated at the person next to you. Just keep reminding you why you should be irritated at them. Reminding you why you should probably say something to them about your irritation. You know how it works. The tongue is set on fire by hell. And it's not just outside the camp. It's inside the camp. And that is where it is most devastating. Is inside the camp. Well-meaning people at times. Friends and family, fellow brothers, fellow sisters. All of a sudden speaking words of gossip. We're never going to get this done. This is never going to work. We'll never do it. The enemy's too strong. Rumors, speculation, criticism, grumbling, on and on and on. Talk, 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 talk. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, the Bible says. Talk. And listen, when that talk has been stirred up by hell, the primary goal behind all the talk, when believers are trying to rise and build together, the primary goal behind the talk is to get the builders to stop working. Discourage them. Make them afraid. Cause them to lose hope. Cause them to lose faith. Don't you think at some point along the line here, these people wanted to string Nehemiah up like they wanted to string Moses up in the wilderness? We're going to die because of this man. Just to talk. Satan's stirring up words here, I believe, to cause the builders to drop their tools and walk. And I do think, you, you picture all these, these rumors floating around Jerusalem, the, the gossip, the, the fear at this point. I do think they were sorely tempted here to give up. I think they were probably wavering very, very badly here. It's not worth it. So what does Nehemiah do? 
He looks and labors. He looks and he labors. In reverse order this time, he now labors and then he looks. If you, if you look at verse 13, here's what he does. So, <laughs> with all this going on, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Look at him. Remember him who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah instantly goes to work here. He labors to rally the people again. And he, he points their eyes to Jesus. Look up. Or to, or to God. Look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. Stations the people with their families. The first thing he does in his labor here. Stations the people with their families in the remaining breaches of the wall with weapons now. People who probably hadn't fought in over 150 years. <laughs> Here's your weapon. Can I teach you how to shoot a gun? <laughs> Might help you if they come after us. He's arming the people. Swords, spears, bows. He labors. He's doing something. He's working, arranging the people. Labors. But he also looks to God. He looks up to God. He has all the people look to God. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who split the Red Sea. Remember the Lord who just recently split open Persia and brought you out of exile. Look to our God, infinite in power, Infinite, infinite in might, who loves us, who cares for us, who defends us. Look to the Lord and fight. 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 Fight for your family. Your family members beside you now. Fight for them. Your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives. Fight for your homes. Do not quit. Do not run and hide. Do not stop building. Do not listen to the lies. Look to the Lord and fight. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, in case you think that is an Old Testament principle, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Fight. William Carey's famous line, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Rise and build the walls. So the people, they began to build in the previous chapter, and all of a sudden, (laughs) opposition, massive opposition. Three three different forms of 
opposition. And listen, I think we really got to pay attention to this. Very, very subtle forms of opposition. It's not a full-on frontal attack right here against the Jews. No, most of the opposition here, most of the opposition here was in words. That's it. Words. In different forms, taunts, threats, gossip, all words. All words. And every last word, I believe, ultimately fueled by Satan, and every last word ultimately designed by Satan with one primary goal in mind, to get the builders to stop working. Drop your tools and quit, and I'll leave you alone. And Nehemiah responds three times in the same manner, looks and labors, prays and perseveres, and the people continue to build in the face of great opposition. And what do we learn from that passage there then? You know, it's very tempting. You read through a passage like that with all this opposition. Very tempting just to think of yourself right away. Just talk about the opposition we face as believers, maybe. But man, we don't want to start right there. We'd miss the point of the passage if we did. Because this passage, like every other passage in Nehemiah, is not ultimately about us. It's about Christ. Ultimately, every passage in the Bible is ultimately teaching us something about Jesus. Ultimately pointing to Jesus, the one true hero in the Bible. Every story whispers his name. And what does this passage here whisper to us about Christ? How does this passage point us to Christ? I think it's probably here. Satan hates a good thing. He hates a good thing. You know the opposition Nehemiah faced right here? Well, that opposition right there, that was a foreshadowing, a small picture of the opposition Jesus would face. 400 years after Nehemiah lived, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, appeared on this earth. And listen, Jesus came to this earth to do a really good thing. Jesus came to this earth to build a really good thing. And you know what he came to this earth to build? His church. Jesus is the much better Nehemiah. Nehemiah built an earthly Jerusalem, but Jesus came to build what Hebrews 12 calls the heavenly Jerusalem, the church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus came to this earth to bring sinners like you and me into his spiritual family, ultimately building his church into a massive worldwide body of believers. And man, when Jesus came to start building his church, opposition. From day one, Satan opposed him furiously. Every last form of opposition there in that passage, Jesus felt it. The words, the words, the words around Jesus constantly. Satan sometimes stirring up flesh and blood to lob the words at him. But Satan at other times just dropping the words right on him directly. All these words around Jesus. Jesus heard the taunts. 
He heard the mocking, the ridicule, the shame. He heard it from Satan in the wilderness. If you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Cast yourself down and the angels will bear you up. And who knows, man, you just think of Jesus' life. How many more taunts did he hear directly from Satan in his life? Can you, can you just picture Satan taunting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed in agony? Ridicule, shame, taunting him relentlessly. And man, Jesus heard taunts from other people. He's a drunk, a glutton. Saul he is. He's from the devil. Cast out demons by the power of the devil. If you really are the Son of God, Jesus, get yourself off that cross. The taunts, the words, mocking, ridicule, shame. You came to build the church, Jesus? Too weak, too feeble, can't do it. And Jesus also heard the threats. Man, Who knows how many threats Jesus heard directly from Satan. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Again, the Garden of Gethsemane Gethsemane praying in agony. We think he heard kind of threats directly from Satan in the garden. He he heard threats from people. He heard threats from his own friends and family members in his own hometown. Aren't you Joseph's son? Didn't you just grow up here in Nazareth? Let's throw him off a cliff. Let's stone him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Heard the threats. And Jesus also heard the talk. He heard the gossip around him, the rumors, the, the, the statements from friends and, and family, all, the, all this talk that would have tempted him to discouragement, this talk that would have tempted him to walk away and follow some other will than his father's. He heard talk from his mothers and brothers. He's out of his mind. Tell him we're outside waiting for him. It's time to go home. He heard it from his friend Peter. You'll never die, Jesus. God forbid. He heard it from his friend Judas. Rabbi, great to see you in this garden here. Let me kiss your cheek. You know, all the, the words, the words, the words from the powers of darkness, not bombs. Just words, subtle forms of opposition from the powers of darkness. Every form of opposition in this passage, Jesus felt it like no other human being. And every last word of the opposition, listen, every last word of the opposition, of this spiritual satanic opposition, every word, the taunts, the threats, the gossips, all of it designed by Satan with one goal in mind, get him to stop building. Drop your weapons and quit. Stop building and I'll leave you alone. 
And how did Jesus respond? He looked and he labored. Nehemiah is a picture of our Savior right there. Prayed and persevered his entire life. Looked to his Father in prayer. Not ultimately praying for his safety, his protection, but praying for courage, I'm sure, to continue. Help me, Father. And he labored. He looked and labored. Worked his entire life to build his church. Blood, sweat, and tears. Hungry, thirsty, tired. Looked and labored, prayed and persevered. Jesus endured all the opposition right there. You know the crazy thing about Jesus? You know the one big difference? Well, there's tons, but <laughs> one of the really big differences between Nehemiah and, and Jesus, you know what it is? Well, the opposition killed Jesus. For a time. But man, what Satan, <laughs> what he didn't understand was that that death and his subsequent resurrection, well, that was the way Jesus would build his church. Through death, through 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 dying, through resurrection. He would die and rise again to pay the full penalty for sinners like you and me. And man, every sinner who now repents or turns away from sin and clings to him in faith, well, your sins are forgiven. All of your sins, you're now loved with a love that will never, ever change, no matter what you ever do. And you have now become another precious stone in his heavenly Jerusalem. You're another precious member in his church, his spiritual family, Jesus Christ, building his church without ceasing. Man, we got to see Jesus in this passage first and foremost. That's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. That's the primary lesson here. Praise God. Jesus is a much better builder than Nehemiah. But there is a secondary lesson, I believe. A lesson that has to do with every believer here in this room. And here it is. Satan hates a good thing. He hates it. He hates it. And the opposition that Jesus faced, every form of opposition in this passage that Jesus faced when he worked to build his church, well, that's the type of opposition that we will face when we truly work to build his church church. And Jesus has called us to build his church. Jesus is the chief builder of his church for sure. He does the heavy lifting, but man, Jesus has called every believer to build with him. Nehemiah here, he called other people to build this earthly Jerusalem with him. And Jesus has now called other people to build the heavenly Jerusalem with him. If you're a believer today, you truly trust in and follow Christ. What Jesus has called you to build his church. Matthew 28, Jesus tells us to make disciples. He's called us to expand his church, bringing more unbelievers to faith. And he's also called us to strengthen his church, um, maturing the believers who are already in. Ephesians 4, we're called to do the work of the ministry. Jesus has called us to build. And listen, Satan hates a good thing. Satan does not want us to build. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want you 
to make disciples of your kids, your neighbors, your co-workers. He does not want you to make disciples of your fellow believer. He does not want you to do that. He would prefer that you did just about anything under the sun. He doesn't care how many sermons you listen to. doesn't care how many books you read. As long as you don't actually get up and work with other believers to build the church. That's what he's terrified of. He does not want us to build And he will use every strategy he can to keep us from it. And I think we are confused at times as to the strategies that Satan uses. We expect him to use full-on frontal attacks and martyr us here in Peace of Mind Academy. He might do that, but he probably won't. You know what strategy he'll use? Much more subtle, much more hidden. He will use words. He will use words. Your words, my words, people outside of here, their words. He will either stir up people, stir up flesh and blood to speak certain words, or he will just drop words into our minds at times. And all the things we see there, that's how Satan will will come against us. Flaming darts of the evil one. You begin to labor hard with your life group to bring unbelievers to faith. You begin to labor hard in your life group to bring other believers to maturity. You begin to labor to make disciples in any way of your kids, of your spouse, of your neighbor, of your co-worker. You do anything like that, and here come the words. Taunts, maybe. And maybe you just hear the taunts in your mind when you're trying to build. Maybe that's how you hear them. Ridicule, shame. Who are you to think you could do anything for God? What do you think you're doing? Too weak, too feeble, too many problems, too new of a believer. You're too shy, you're too introverted, you're too loud, you're too extroverted, you're too brash. Who are you? You're a fool threats, or I mean taunts, taunts, or maybe you hear the threats. Maybe you do. You're, you're laboring to build disciples, but, but you really, in your mind, there's a fear growing in your mind. We could really get hurt out there making disciples. What about my family? The threats, the threats, or maybe I think what's probably going to derail us more than anything else, it's that third one, it's just the talk. The piddly little gossip and rumors, complaining, criticism, grumbling, concern, worries, fears, and it, and it just gets going. And man, those words, when they come, when they come from the powers of darkness, when, when those things happen, when they come through other people, and they, they bring discouragement, they bring unbelief, they bring hopelessness, wh- whatever it is, or you're hearing the words in your mind. I, when they come from Satan, I can tell you this, the, the one primary goal right there, Satan wants you to stop working. Stop building, and I'll leave you alone. Drop your tools and quit. And you'll be fine. 
And the answer for us, as we seek to build the church, as we seek to make disciples, here it is, man, all the way through this thing. We must look and we must labor. We must pray and persevere. We need to saturate this thing in prayer. I do hope you've been stirred up by God to pray more because we desperately need your prayers. Help us, Lord God. Help us, help us, help us. Not ultimately praying for our safety, praying for boldness and courage to continue when the threats and the taunts and the talk begins to come. Help us looking up to God, reminding each other, look up, look up, look up. Remember our great and awesome God. Yeah, it feels impossible to make disciples. Not for Him. And He loves us. And He's working for us. Look up. But then, man, we've got to continue to labor. And if we're not laboring right now, it's time to get up and labor. It is time to get up and work. May God help us to do it. A grace-motivated Holy Spirit breathe, labor. Let's get up by the grace of God and build those walls. And Jesus has promised, through you, I will build my church. Let's pray. Lord God, you're good. You're good. Father, forgive us. I think we so often uh, miss the, the hidden strategies of Satan against us as believers. Apostle Paul says that uh, we are aware of the strategies of Satan, or we don't, we are not unaware of them, and yet many times I think we are unaware of the strategies of Satan. And Father, forgive us for missing a, a, a big strategy here, this war of words. It came at Jesus, and man, if it came at Jesus, a disciple is like his master, it's going to come at us too. If they hated him, they'll hate us. Lord, forgive us for missing it. Forgive us for feeding into these words at times. For just stirring other believers up to fear and discouragement and disheartenment. Forgive us, Lord, for, 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 for with our words bringing people down. And just, just feeding hopelessness, doubt and unbelief. But God, I just ask you to help us, make us aware a prey of this strategy. <laughs> Father, you're so good. Your word's so good in highlighting things like this for us. Will you please help, Father? Help us, Lord, we pray that we might rise following your footsteps, Jesus. You working in and through us to build your church. In your name we pray, amen.